I'm going out walking, walking down through the park. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Stolen Signs. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Hello, Harry. Hello, hello, hello. 19. Yes, I was actually, uh, I did a little research. Um, I don't know why, but uh, 19. And I was looking at Cubs number 19. And I think that number 19 is like the... It's like the the number of hope for uh, Cubs prospects. Let me just run okay. down. Let me run down a few former number nineteens for the Cubs. I think was Merton one. Matt Merton, yes. Yes. Tyler Colvin. Oh my gosh. Bobby Scales. No, he changed to twenty one because I I have a Colvin twenty one shirt. Okay. Okay. Um, and then Bobby Scales. No, well, that's he was already like forty when he came yeah. up, right? Yeah. He stopped Choi. Oh, yeah. Brooks Kieschnick. <laughs> Two-way player, Brooks Kieschnick. That's right. Congratulations on your second appearance on the show, Mr. <laughs> Kieschnick. <laughs> and then, of course, Hector Villanueva, who's maybe not fits into that category, but I just wanted to say Hector Villanueva on the podcast. Okay. So Fair enough. I think that that's a, a pretty – the only one I was looking and hoping to find, like a, a Kevin Ory or um, you know, somebody <laughs> – of that of that ilk, but not number nineteen. So. so, were there any like great players who have worn nineteen? Like, not just necessarily Cubs, but oh, uh, I'm not sure. Manny Trio was he wore it for the longest. Manny Trio was a solid ball player. I remember mostly remember him as a Philly. Yeah, that would just yeah. He I think it was kind of front end and tail end of his career with the Cubs. That's, okay, that's what I for my. For my research, Harry, I looked into it pretty deeply. Yeah, wow, you went, you did some work. That's generous. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yes. it is episode number nineteen. Nineteen, indeed. And we are talking about, uh, among other things, today, park factors. Yeah, that's it's an important thing. It's a so, pretty fundamental thing in sabermetrics if you think about it. Before we jump in, I want to say uh, follow us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. Um, email us stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Rate, review us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any other of your favorite podcast thingies. Um, also, if you hit our show page on the Baseball Perspectives website, um, you can, uh, there's some links to iTunes and then also just the RSS feed. So if you have some sort of magical um, podcast uh, player. Ma- magical podcast player? Yeah, I'm sure those like exist. The unicorn. Yeah, like the unicorn. Um, you if you're can, listening to us on Unicorn, rate <laughs> us with a glitter fart. <laughs> what Harry said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. But, uh, so, interesting. So, I, I have uh, the baseball reference 
number database kind of pulled up for number 19. Mm-hmm. So it has Fergie Jenkins, but it was for like one year with the Rangers in 1974. Good I enough. Don't know if that counts totally. Sure, that counts. He's a Hall of Fame player. But yeah. for like regular players who wore it a lot, Robin Yount. Is oh, wait, Votto wears 19, right? Votto wears 19. Tony Gwynn. Yeah. When oh my god yes there's some good when Votto Yant that's some yeah Bob Feller also oh so wow it's got this is a good episode yeah pretty good pedigree (laughs) and then people who I've never heard of like Billy Pierce Billy you never heard of Billy Pierce oh I guess the White Sox huh yeah yeah there's a Billy Pierce statue in uh, Sox Park oh Billy was the one that is a legendary White Sox pitcher he was a great there you go. Today I learned. Yeah, yeah. Today you finally learned this. There you go. But Burt Campanaris and mm-hmm. who are some other ones who wore it for a lot? Freddie Lynn and oh Juan Gonzalez, etc. So quite a few uh, yeah. folks were number nineteen. So welcome to episode nineteen. Feller. Well, he, did he come up when he was nineteen too? Whoa. I think so. Yeah. There we go. All right. Anyway, um, so we're talking about park factors. So there's a few things that um, yeah. I wanted to talk about with park factors. First it's of a, which. It's a big, it's an important thing. First of which is, what is it? <laughs> um, I think, so. We what this, are, it's very important. Uh, what is it? No, he was, this by the before. way, Bob Feller was 17 when he 17. broke into the yeah. Ah. Wow. It's two episodes, two episodes ago. ago. Yeah. 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 yeah but I'm. Um, <laughs> Um, All right. So, yes, so park factors. What are we'll, they? We'll play this game. We've played it before. I'm going to try and tell you what I think park factors are, and you can tell me where I'm wrong. Or, okay. I, I don't know if this is a game, but sure. <laughs> it's a, game it's a bit. Know. It's shtick. It's uh, a uh, thing. So park factors are... Um, <laughs> Park factors are when. Do we catch you off guard with the topic? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, no. Uh, park factors are how each stadium or uh, ballpark plays in the run environment relative to all the other parks. Yeah. Is that generally that's correct? Basically right. That's, yeah. And that's park, park factor is a a correction applied. Um, it can be applied at, to, at the run level, can be applied at a lower level even, uh, to adjust for the environmental differences between baseball parks. And it's something that's, you know, super intuitive that you, we've, people have always talked about this, like, you know, like, well, well when they were playing, you know, in Shy Park or the Baker Bowl, you know, there was you know, Home Run City over there. Oh, in the polo grounds, you're that insane center field. Um, you know, when the Dodgers move, move across the country for a while, they had that net in left field because it was only like 270 feet or something. And yeah, everybody knows Coors Field plays different. And, you know, Fenway, you know, it's a different ballpark for a left-handed hitter and a right-handed hitter. And so there's, you know, we all know, and it's always been, it, it, just part of our understanding of baseball, that the environment in which you perform impacts how you play. And, you know, even at the cookie cut, you know, Cotter stadiums in the seventies, that was turf and turf made, you know, you knew, so, you know, clubs were building around the speed on the turf, like the Royals and the Cardinals back in those days. So, you know, there's no, 
it was never something, it's not something that was ever outside of baseball consciousness. But I don't think it was until the 80s when Pete Palmer first came up with the, the construct of a park factor. So I guess, I think it was in the 88 total baseball. I may be wrong. I should have looked up on our own sabermetrics timeline. <laughs> this may be the second time I've gotten this wrong on our show. Um, but yeah, so Palmer is generally the man credited for having come up with the concept. And, and the most basic thing is just calculate the difference, you know, in how players perform in all the other parks versus this park. And you just do that over and over again for each park and make some handle some adjustments for home versus, you know, the home team and the way team, you know, and to understand how each one performs differently at all the different places. And eventually you get a sense of it. It can look like the Pythagorean formula. I think that's like, if you go to Wikipedia, I think that's what you'll see. It's something that looks very much like the Pythagorean win formula, but just a little more complicated. So and at its, yeah, at its most basic level, you would like this is like really basic, but like yeah. you would add up all the runs scored in Major League Baseball and then. Oh, you, you kind of do it by team. See which team like take the. OK, you know, or, it's like it's like if you take every team's, you know, how they score. It, it's yeah, it's it's just there's different ways to do it also, but yeah. basically it's you know how many runs you score at home, how many you score away, and that, that that's kind of the, the the basis for it. But you know that's a little more complicated. Right. But the main the main thing though is that it's fundamental. Like just and one thing is the, that the most basic level that I just want to think about conceptually is just that it's runs it's easier or harder to score runs in different places that that's the most fundamental thing that and that's where you start but the next thing to me like that's 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 fine but the next thing is you have to split it by batter hand and to explain that it's a very complicated reason and i'll just explain by saying fenway park (laughs) it's obviously a different experience for different hitters because the pool fields are uh, you know, strange. So drastically different. And, and so would, I would imagine, um, like the lefty righty park factor split would be pretty similar at places like the old Bush stadium or like, like you're saying, like the, you wouldn't really have like a bunch of batter hand factor in the cookie cutters. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like th- those, it, unless you had a prevailing wind situation, where you know, it, I I think like Arlington where the Rangers play. I think it's different now because they put in like some huge new scoreboard. But before that went up, the wind used to come in, bounce off the the main pavilion, and blow back out to right field. So it didn't really matter which way the wind was blowing; it would always seem to be going out to right. So, you know, that that's that's part of it, too. It's like what directions the wind go. Um, Wrigley Field, like, my God, you have to have two different park factors. With the wind blowing out, that place is a joke. With the wind blowing in, it's a completely different environment. And to me, that's one of the biggest weaknesses of the park, conventional way we all do park factors is that we smear it out over years because it's so complicated to get like enough people playing in enough places and have enough mathematical power with the, the conventional techniques to, you know, it's so when we, when we use like single season factors for just quick sidebar here, like in, in DRA, there's like a, an environment effect that's separate from park factor. It's like an extra component of the model. 
we got lambasted by a lot of sabermetricians. You know, I don't, you don't really like that word much, but <laughs> we got lambasted by us, uh, our colleagues, because we we're using a short, we were using less than three years, less than five years and things like that. It's like, well, look, you know, that's for this mathematical technique, it's safe. And that's important that we find techniques that we can start closing that window down it because the ballparks change a lot yeah, um, across time. And also, so the assumption that I have five years or three years even, or even two years of data with a particular configuration is, is kind of flawed. Um, so when you get a new ballpark, when you move the fences, when you raise a fence, like that will change the scoring environment. Yeah. So you don't, so you smear across those things at your, at your own hazard. And you also overfit to a single season at your own hazard. So it's a matter of finding them more powerful methods to do it. And frankly, we really haven't cracked that. I mean, that's, that's something that we should probably turn our focus to at some point, but. Is that something that, so let me, I, yeah, let me restate what I think you just said. Gonna restate, okay. So, so, um, <laughs> so there's, you can take, you can look at it for like some span of years, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and there's going to be a different park factor than if you just look at one single season, obviously. Right. Um, and so what you're saying is instead of just finding the media or the, the happy medium or, or some balance between using this larger, longer term aggregate number versus just one season because there's variance. And mm-hmm. also, I mean, I think this is a question that I had about it was, there's all these little like tinkers that like every team does, like whether you, like you say, like it's a new scoreboard or like um, there's a different configuration or they take out Tall's Hill in Houston or, you know, like whatever those different things are, like all of those have a, some effect on the park factor. Right. But, so, and, you, and you may choose to say that's not enough of an effect. I mean, that's fine. It's okay to make assumptions. All models are wrong, so, and some are useful, right? So it's like you can still have a very useful park factor and arguably better park factor from some, you know, like you can, you know, from a theoretical basis, you want it to be like, today's the park factor was this, but that's really, really hard to do. So to there's like the practicality. So exactly like this, what's the happy medium? What's the techniques that we can use to shorten that? you know, window that we have to use. And also, can we have techniques that are usable when it's a brand new place? Like I don't have five years in SunTrust. And Wrigley Field plays differently with the new big boards, the higher bleachers, the huge boards, like there's gotta be a difference in the wind. You know, all all these parks that change things, Towels Hill, they they change the, you know, the, the scoreboard change in Arlington. And that's a tricky one because like, if we look at, you know, published information, that says they're moving the fences in, we'll like cut off our park factor, like there. Like, you know, we, we try to go, I think two years or three years back or even ahead, you know, for a park. But if it's a new park, we, we, we treat a configuration change as a totally new park. Now that may be kind of crazy, but that's just, you know, we're crazy. So, so like, I think there's like a big one or I don't know if it's a, it's a, I don't know if it's a big change, but it's, there's kind of a lot of talk about it for the, the, I think it's the angels, right? They're yeah, taking they out the, and right field, they're they're like removing part of the fence or something like that by eight feet. Um, so that's going to be 
for in BP's models, that's basically going to be like it's a new stadium. Well, yeah, basically, you know, for, you know, it, we would expect it to have, it, yeah, basically, and that may not be the most sophisticated. Do we, we should do things differently because there's a lot of things that aren't affected by that. So losing the power of those other years is 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 dangerous and possibly worse. So it's not great. It's not ideal, um, at all. I mean, ideally, what you want to do, and what we do is we do, we don't just go down to runs or by hand. We go all the way down to low level events. You know, I, I for example, I have found a like a I think it was a, sw a swinging strike factor that was I think a reflection of the hitter's eye. So like the old Miami Stadium was. It was easier to get guys to strike, get strikes, uh, swing and miss. It's like, but bikes, they can't see the ball as well. Like, you know, there's th that, so many of these things go into play. So you can, right. you can go all from the runs all the way down to the lowest level. So, but nowadays, you can get to that ideal point because we with StatCast, they have all the tracking information. So yeah. just so so there's two ways, and it's already been done to say how many home runs are going to be added at Anaheim this year, all else right. being equal. Yeah, one is just do some physics, today. like Alan Nathan just did some math and you know his thing, yeah. and eight percent. And then Mike Petro was like, "Look, we drew it in, you know, with Statcast data, we we changed the wall height." Yeah, and wow, it's like seven and a half percent, whatever. It was like almost the same. They're within, you know, and I think Alan once predicted like to change and places with based on having humidors moving in and things like that so i think we've adjusted down our park factors even in our projections already based on these known percentages of things so oh home runs are going to go down eight percent okay we'll pull down home runs and pull up doubles or you know vice versa um you know so we've actually done that and even with uh, arizona i think we have factored in humidor effect so yeah. well how how would we do that because because we know the percent. Because Alan Nathan is is a god and has published <laughs> these things, and so we could, just like a just physical basically model. Basically, the key steel. Yeah, it's just it's it's physics, and Alan does the work, and you just have to plug it in. Got it. Bless his heart, man. He's the best. So I, I have some questions about different things that go into Park Factor. Sure. Park Park Factors. Um, park. So well, actually, let me because you when you just brought up like swinging strike rate or other things like that. So there are park factors for not just runs, but also for mm -hmm. home runs and doubles and singles and all of those different. Triples. What's a good triples park. What's right. a, what's an easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You should, I, I have like, I was kind of surprised when I was, I don't know if there was a walks. I think it was the only park factor I found at that. Like most, so I did this like years ago. I mean, this is the, you know, but it was, I think just, only one thing stood out, and that was like Miami swinging strikes. Right. But I think other people found that as well. So it wasn't like I had just bumbled into something. Other people bumbled into it too. <laughs> okay. So when we're looking at park factors, there's some different things. We've already discussed some. So one is like the batter's eye. Also like elevation oh yeah and um wind direction like you say like you know the wind yeah, and these are all things that you don't have all the necessarily have all the data points on that's why you use these abstractions and lots of data but when you have all the data points when you have what the ball trajectory was and how high the wall was you can do the granular park factoring like you don't have to do it the way you know 
the next advancement in park factoring, you know, is not going to come from refining the math and deciding how to handle changes in configurations. It's going to be to just throw all that away and just, you know, model it based on the actual recorded and known conditions in the park. Like you can say, what would this ground ball do differently if it wasn't in Tampa on the turf? You know, you can do that. So, I mean, it's... Uh, because you, you can, sorry, you can do that because there would be a model to say, okay, um, Ichiro hit a scorching line drive up the middle in this place, um, and be, like in Tampa, for example, and uh, he would you know, in a place that played slower or whatever. Well, one, well, you wouldn't even necessarily, yeah, like you can make like turf to grass or if you know what kind of grass it is, okay? Yeah. But also the gaps where, where you think, that if you kind of know where players have to position themselves, We actually and you actually know how they position themselves differently. So you can see, oh, in Colorado, the outfielders are moved like this. And if they are playing against each row, we would, they may adjust like that. But this means that this ball would drop in front or get through the gap. Like there, you... You can start to figure those things out, but of course you don't know how the guys are going. But yeah, on the it's game, game theory, you know, it's like the defense is also going to engage, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely the way to do things in terms of handling environmental factors. Like if that's the most granular information you can get, the better. But at some point, you know, you're not going to have every guy hitting every ball through everything. You have to have, you know, at some point you're going to aggregate and model. And you know, make some assumptions and make yeah. some throw some error bars on it. But the, the way to the way to get really good park factors is definitely through through Statcast. So, with that, I guess why does that matter? And so, let me take a stab at it. Um, why does that matter? Why do all these things matter? Because we want to <laughs> nor- normalize performance. It's nothing, Lubowski. There's only nothing. So we can understand it. But also, like, if I'm a, in the front office for some someplace and I have this model oh. that says, you know, so-and-so is going to hit all of these doubles in our home park or all of these homers in our home park, whereas mm-hmm. in some other environment he won't, right. um, I might want to you know, try and, and well, teams that. do it in, in crazy ways. Okay. Like there, there's an a ball advanced a ball. Okay. This is a very, you know, important thing in major league baseball, the, the conditions in advanced a, you have three different leagues. You have the, the Carolina league, you have the Florida league and you have the California league. The California league is an extreme hitters environment for the most part. Like the parks like Lancaster, like just, you know, so you're playing it out. There's a team called, I think it's high desert in that, that league too. You know, there's like the name is high desert. You know, it's like, um, you know, so, but there's some parks that aren't at elevation. Uh, then like in the Pacific coast league, you have two different sides of the league, like one side of the Rockies and the other side, it's different again too, but you have like, these, you know, sticking to the A-ball situation here, you have these parks that are just, you know, mo- it's a hitter's league in California. But then meanwhile, down, down in Florida, at lower elevation, et cetera, it's a pitcher's league. The parks and all the, the parks tend to be a little bigger. The wind tends to be more of a knockdown thing, whatever. I'm kind of making up some of this. but like Heavier it, atmospheric. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, general, there's more. Generalized. So it's, just, it's, just, it's just better for pitchers. Carolina League is neutral. It's like the you know it's like that porridge is just the right temperature. So 
you will actually see teams publicly comment on this decision. <laughs> and I don't want to like, I've had multiple teams comment to me on this privately, so I won't screw up. So look in the public for yourself, for teams that when they've moved their team, why? Why they moved their A-level team from, you know, One California. to the other. Yeah. Like, why did they leave California? And, you know, there's, there's even further, you would can also find teams saying, we did not, we had a guy skip a level. Right. Yeah, we had a guy, we, we pushed him <laughs> to whatever because... You're going to double to A because we don't want you to, well, yeah, because you don't want to ruin the guy's confidence having a pitch in Lancaster. Or certain teams don't want their hitters to get, like, just, like, I just put the ball in the air. I, yeah, I swing from the heels. Right and, yeah. It's kind of funny now, like, well, these teams don't want this. Like, before the launch angle revolution, teams were, you know, a little bit hesitant about hitters developing bad habits by hitting in those environments on the flip side. Uh, and so absolutely, you know, as a general manager, you you have to have a good peg on these park factors. Now, the techniques of getting park factors about the competition rotating through and all that stuff is even more complicated in the minor leagues. Especially when you go down like really low levels where, you know, if you want to try and grab, get nail park factors in like the Pioneer League or the Northwest League, you have huge disparate roster types. Like some of these are like 18 year olds and some of them are 23 year olds. And it's like, you, so you're, who's rotating through and where they're playing isn't the only, they're not all, not all else is equal. So, so it gets very, very complicated the further you go. But at that level, it, it it makes a difference in terms of evaluating how your player development schemes are going and how you implement them. And then also how you, when you're, if you are acquiring players at that low level, I don't know how much that really happens, but that like, you know, you have to know, you have to understand that, Oh yeah, he played in a total hitters park and he played like, you know, he's also four years under the age, you know, for that. And he's playing against, it's like, it's something, there's always something that complicates it. But again, if you have the granular data, you know, like pitch tracking and ball tracking and hit tracking, and then you, you're not as worried about that because you have actual ground truths to rely on. And so with that, the so do teams have that type of data for all of their levels? Well, StatCast, you will only find like the fielder tracking stuff. Yeah, that you don't find that outside of major leagues. Okay. But, but minor league teams, they have they do have ball tracking like a lot. And college too, so you have that. You do have the radar component yeah. where you get the pitch and the batted ball. Uh, some of these units may not be as big, and maybe don't do as great a job of tracking the ball as the big league units do. But there's some. Yeah, I mean they've got data. this stuff galore. I mean, and we're going to talk about this. I might as well bring it up. It's like you're they're using that data to evaluate and not and project. And when you're projecting, you're not just projecting performance, you're projecting development. And you can actually look at players' data, pitch tracking data, and make decisions about what, what types of pitches you might want to teach them to throw or how they may look when you know they've had time to develop a, a third pitch. Um, and, you know, teams are doing that. And uh, we're going to actually bring a component of that to our website. Pretty soon, we just started that project. So, yeah, pitch designing. But anyways, the parks. Yeah, so you ha the, the, the it's like either you're going to have to deal with this big aggregation issue and data, you know, smoothing, or you're going to have this have to do some refined modeling off of very granular data. They both present their own problems, but I think that latter way is the way it's going to the way it should go. 
I think that's you get closer to the truth in a small amount of time. And that's critical right. for decision systems. I don't have five years to figure out this kid's been affected by the park. You know, I mean, that's not yeah. what's happening. Okay, yeah. we're applying five years to a year. But if you're misapplying it or something, like the better, you know, these decisions having consequences and costs. And so I think, you know, I think the traditional way of doing park factors is a probably a dying technique. But in the meantime, we had to keep it updated and do things with it still. So it's very powerful, very useful. And thanks to Pete Palmer, it's something that we've had around for 30 years and is, you know, actually pretty useful. Although it's getting harder, like all the ballpark changes, the ball changes, the hitters all suddenly trying to lift more, apparently. I mean, there's all this stuff that's happening that makes, you know, I saw a lot of Twitter conversations in last season about, park adjusted stats being less trustworthy in 2017 because, because park adjustments that they were using were from pre through the previous year or something and therefore may not be as accurate so I, I, so it's it seems like like what you're talking about right now is not just changes to the park but like changes in the game and how the game is played affects global that. warming and, and all this that that does it too no but yes it, it does yeah they, totally yeah totally and, and then where is that in the model or in trying to figure this stuff out because it's a part of it's you just smooth it away and just make assumptions like we're going to lose something like and that's okay like you're just like when you're looking at these things though it's important to understand that so when you're looking at the espn park factor or the baseball references or or ones at bp like you should understand that the shortcomings in these things that, you know, some of these are smearing across park changes. We're truncating and we're not. And that may be bad in some ways because we're losing statistical power from the other years that, you know, we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater in some cases. So you have to realize that it's not a perfect science. You're going to find disagreements and they could be like, well, they're all right. They're all correct. Because they made different, they're different techniques, and yeah. they do accurately reflect the questions that they're asking, and so, that's that's a big thing. Yeah, with that, and I know that we talked about this a little bit um, with Jonathan and Rob, and kind of the error bars that we've talked about. But mm -hmm. there is definitely this desire or um, thought that having something be like indisputable i mean maybe this is a human condition not just baseball twitter but um <laughs> you know people want like they want the truth and they want when they see well, a stat yeah. they want it they want to know that that's that's 100 there's accurate. a certainty there's that's certainty. presented by numbers right yeah especially when you throw decimal points on your numbers then right, you're, then you're super important yeah you're implying that look at this precision and that's that's another problem we're all guilty of that. I mean, we, we, we give you DRA and ERA down to you know, two digits, right? Yeah. So I guess my question with that is like, it, and I know that, I think I know the answer to this, but there is, that's, that is not something that we can really attain. Um, I mean, we can look at historical stuff like this person, you know, hit, you know whatever 47 home runs this year or whatever but when we look at things that are a little more complex like we just don't have that and then especially hey, when we're projecting something that. you're always going to have measurement error and you're always going to have 
arrogant. Yeah, I mean, the, perfection is an unattainable ideal, but you always should always be optimizing your methods, you know, through the best technology and tech, you know, the best techniques that you have available to you. You know, but you don't want to go past the point of diminishing returns. You're trying to, you know, squeeze blood from a turnip. I mean, you just have to. You know, did I just? Is that, is that even a real phrase? Blood from it a is. turnip. It is. It's it's actually one of my favorites. So I'm, yeah. I'm very happy yeah. that you dropped that in there. And it was, it's usually a stone, but like turnip for some reason came to mind. Um, so, anyways, turnips are great for uh, combating leeches. No, so what happens is you try and try and try, but at a certain point you're wasting your effort and because you're not going to get, you're only going to get 1% better with, you know, 20% more work. And it's like you know false I mean? precision anyway. Yeah. And, and then it could right. be false precision. And then your assumptions are going to be wrong next year. And, you know, it's like, so you have to balance constantly, like, you know, how far over the line, you know, how close to that line can I maintain myself? And, um, my kind of philosophy is like to push things a little bit. So that, Meaning? that's, um, Try new things. Don't, don't be afraid to try something and then change it later because you realize that your new technique needed refinement. So I tend to be more like, go ahead, change it. Let's try something new. Then no, let's leave that alone. Now there are definitely things where you know because I don't because I know what where attention and, and focus is, is it matters. But you know, like with pitching stuff, I'm like, let's do things. You know, like fielding stuff and park factors. I'm like, yeah, let's, you know, see where StatCast takes us eventually. When they start, we can get data, you know, things like that. So it's yeah. like, you know, I don't want to like put a bunch of resources onto something where I think the, there's a better path that may emerge before, you know, if there's a sunset problem. It's like, this is this going to be, well, I get ROI on this work before the sunset of the value of the utility of that work. Um, and then the stack cast there, it's even, can we complete that work <laughs> before the sunset? Uh, so, you, you know, there's, there's, so you have to choose, you know, and you could probably make the argument about everything. So in the end, it comes down to what we think as a group and, you know, yeah. and as much as I can try to influence the group think uh, is, you know, good luck getting, you know, Judd pretty much works on what he wants to work for the most part. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it within reason, like we make suggestions and he usually follows through so it's like we want to try different things we want to change things we want to do things differently because it's kind of fun it's stimulating you know it's not, well, you know and and we think that helps stir things up and and keeps the public domain um you know open to creativity yeah i open mean to new ideas if i mean if we didn't do that or you know we meaning kind of I don't know what like the whole community. Yeah, the, all, the like, community. If we didn't, I mean, there are tons of people that are doing the same thing, and they're just not. They don't necessarily have to work with us. I mean, that it's just yeah. that's kind of how we operate. But there are many, many other people out there who are the same way, and that are just like, well, let's try something new, and it's really great. I mean, that's like you know, steamer projections is like they're like you know that they're like Jared's like I want to try something a little different and do things with you know, just have a different. Uh, you know, pattern to how I'm going to do to do this, and it, it's good. It's useful because it's made us have to do better. Yeah. I mean, like try everybody trying new things, even if it may not work out in the end, it is healthy. And sharing it, and making it public in the process, you know, like that's why I like the making of the sausage episode we did. It's like it's kind of good to just be like, by the way, we're not wizards. We're just really obsessed. <laughs> 
and we don't give up. We're just like you're very curious, and you don't give up on on trying to crack problems. And you know, it's. I think that's the thing that I've been um, impressed with, kind of just as I've stepped into this community a little bit. Is um, there's a lot of, for the most part, um, there's a lot of like collegiality and like sharing and encouraging of other people and other people's techniques and like curiosity about oh what did you do there and you know why did you do it like that and i think that that's something that like you're saying like don't hold on to these things like they're um you know like religious icons you know like when you do that stuff gets really stale and really um played out and right yeah i mean that's that's one cool thing yeah constant constantly constant improvement you know iteration and that's good you know fail fast try something that makes that's visible you know try and do things i mean we we try things out all the time they don't always work sometimes they do or sometimes we and then sometimes we think they did and they really didn't you know that's the hardest ones to figure to deal with but you know it's like we're constantly trying to make dri better like you know we're we're always like ah there's too much of a strikeout bias still like it's just a thing that you know all right, we'll keep trying because we believe in this technique that we're using. We just have to be better artisans. Yeah. So. So you mentioned a couple of things um, that maybe yeah. let's tackle after a little break. But um, yeah. So again, follow us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs or email us if you have any questions or feedback. Stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Stick around. Welcome back to Stone Sides, episode nineteen. Um, we are talking. We're still talking park factors, and um, I want to just circle back to some things, Harry, that you said about uh, cross examination. <laughs> it is, Harry. You're on the stand. You're, I feel like you're pacing with the transcript of the first segment. So, <laughs> Mr. Pavlidis, if, if that's your real name, yeah. can you confirm we're or deny? Name removed, Hal's Hill. Exactly. <laughs> So, Mr. Pavlidis, you mentioned... uh, The second grounds crew on the grassy knoll. You mentioned the ball. Um, And there's been a lot of talk about um, Mm, ball maintenance. Yeah, everybody's been talking about the ball being hot, right? Yeah, and then, well, except for Rob Manfred, who says, (laughs) of course, there's nothing that has changed with the ball, but you have to store them in our uh, magic humidor and well yeah and this cracks me up like that this is just happening now like just just kills me but go yeah go ahead go so with the ball what um how do we factor in that into park factors is there any sort of well it shouldn't well i mean it's part of course field before the humidor right Right, and then like Arizona. that would be reflected in the park. So the park factors for okay. Coors Field surely changed after two thousand two, right? That makes sense. So, so then, same thing for like moving the fences in at City Field. Like you know, if you don't change your method, event you know, you if, as long as you do things the same way, you'll it'll be reflected. Because 
the environment will be different because be of different. the balls or whatever. Okay. Because if it's a park specific thing, like this park is different because we changed, we moved the fence and this park is different because now we have a humidor. So it's the same thing as we were kind of talking about in the first part where, yeah. you know, it, it's a different, it's now a different environment. It, but how different, you know, is it a part of the environment? That's where you get into some the details again. So, but, so in that case, like Arizona is going to be different this year because Arizona is going to be different in a predictable way. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also, point two on my list here, Harry is um, you mentioned pitch design. So this is actually mm -hmm. something that um, so kind of getting a little bit away from um, park factors, but which is fine. Yeah. Um, so pitch design, I was like, have seen that around a lot. People talk about that. Mm -hmm. What is that? Like, it's, is, is that yeah, it's, a practice it's, or like, what is, what is it's, it's something that is, it's something that is nothing new. I'm going to learn how to throw a slider. You know, okay, so that's you're choosing to throw a new pitch. So you're, you're, you're taking a grip and an alignment with the seams and some type of wrist action or lack of wrist action and pronation and delay of pronation. Then you that's a, that's that's a getting a new pitch, and it's kind of the design process there is like someone shows you how to throw a slider. Okay. And, you want it, and you want it to break more. But design, less, the or... design now in the state of the art of designing a pitch, you are looking at data spin and rate. spin rates okay. and arm angles and mechanics. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 you know, even tunneling stuff, you know, like what the point of view on the ball is from, you know. Right. all these things to come up with, Hey, you should throw a sinker, you know, or you shouldn't throw a sinker. That's not good for you. Th that's, you know, you know, and the really refined guys who like you, like a Zach Granke would be like, I want my change up to be three miles an hour faster without losing any movement. So I got to throw something that's further out my fingers, but I mean, I need to impart more spin. So it's just messing, so, like messing with the different, you know, kind of tinkering with. So like a drive line, pitch. they'll sit with this super high speed camera where you can see the yep. finger, the ball, like this, the, the ball coming off the finger. Like Trevor Bauer has been posting stuff like this for a yeah. long time. But like what Kyle and the guys do there, um, guys and gals, by the way, they just hired a young lady who is a high school junior and she's a pitcher and she's. Uh, driveline intern. She's gonna, that's, oh, cool. She taught herself Python and MySQL. This is like, nice. like I, I want, I, I want her to be an intern for us. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, like, he's, that's a great, great landing. Um, but yeah, they, that's what they do. Like they bring you into the lab and they film you and they do the stuff and they say, okay, the ball comes out of your hand like this. If you just let it come off your finger a little bit differently, you'll get a, like, like they really hone in on, very specific concepts and stuff uh, that are, you know, a bit beyond what we do in terms of anal, like just presenting the data. Like they're actually yeah. creating those things. Like we're like, oh, this guy's a pitches, two pitches look like this after each other. Like pitch design is we want your pitches to look like this. And yeah. 
you've always made that's always been part of the game but now the technology and the coaching resources are, are being developed to do that and organizations are doing it i mean i think the impetus for this today was that the yankees have been doing it and some of their pitchers have talked about it some of their young pitchers like in the lower yeah. minors are being asked to learn a new pitch because the analytics quote unquote suggest it yeah right like there was um there was a, a tweet from Brendan Cootie, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your last name, Brendan. Um, thanks for listening, Brendan. Also. Thanks. <laughs> Long time, first time. Uh, first time, he, last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he he wrote um, something uh, in newjersey.com nj.com about the Yankees and the two of their pitchers Dylan Tate and uh, Kale Koshow Koshow again apologies oh, on the pronunciation Koshow Koshow I think Koshow anyway Kale Kale hey Kale low A Kale um, but they they talk about how um, Tate started throwing um what a two seamer because quote unquote, the Yankees analytics department said that that would be something that you'd be yeah, a good candidate to throw right. this. And then, um, kale from low a Charleston, um, wanted him to work on a cutter based on again, the analytics. And we talked about this. Um, uh, we've talked about it a couple of times on, on some different episodes, but, uh, about using, using the data using analytics to determine what might be a good fit for a particular right and that's picture. pretty nifty like getting to the Super point cool. right this will be a good fit what we want well, our next trick you know at bp here on the outside is going to be uh i don't want to go too deep into this because it's like a whole hour but like the lensner axis and the lensner peanut and, and a paper that that using biomechanical data that's that kind of show that this axis, this pathing thing reflects biomechanics and pitch movement. So that, if, and if you know what that guy's arm path is, you can understand the potential range of pitches he can throw in a normal conventional way. So you can say, what would this guy's slider look like? just based on having a little bit of tracking data at a coarse grain level, not to the level of like a pitch design, like, okay, this is how it's going to spin. And this is how, you know, like there's a whole range of what a slider can look like. I mean, from cutter to slurve, right? I mean, it, and some so guys are capable of getting more spin or whatever. Right? Exactly. Like, right. Like, so, but you know, the, we're just, so again, we're just going to start working in that direction where, okay, we know the Lenson axis and we know the peanut and we know that's pretty well established. So, okay, here's what, this would look like for this pitcher, roughly speaking, with like a big air bar. And then we can put that into our matchup tool and show you a visualization of what that slider thing, right. you know. Like, you know, that that's that will be really fun and interesting, put it that way. Yeah. Then you get into comps, and we can right. start saying, well, right. if you give this guy a slider, what, what pitchers would he be? Well, we know he's like this guy. He's built like this guy. Or he throws like this guy already. And that guy has that pitch, so we can maybe refine and tighten up our estimation of what it would be. Just out yeah. here from the outside using publicly available data. Yeah. 
Okay, so like, you know, Kyle in his lab, literally, you know, where they've got the cameras and the, the picture is there. Uh, and there's interns and staff helping, like, they're, they're designing a pitch. Right. But we can kind of create a kind of a rough sketch of right. that. Kind outside. of a, prox a proxy to do that. Totally, yeah. And, That's you cool. know, it's kind of, we think it's going to be fun. So we're going to, it just yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, I also saw this <laughs> this uh, this video of Lucas Giolito. He was talking about. I think he added uh, a different changeup this year or something, um, yeah. and he kind of was talking about his grip and how um, he's changed it or, or like what he's added to it. And so that that also reminded me or, or kind of stuck up stuck in my head about pitch design. That you know he was. There's a clip on MLB TV recently or network, whatever. It's, um, I, I think it was Pedro Martinez with Dan Plesak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where was it? Well, anyway, you saw I think this, it was MLB right? network, yeah. Yeah, and so, so Plesak didn't have any depth on his change. It just went sideways. So he was basically a two-pitch pitcher. He never threw a change because anytime he'd work on a change, it would just go sideways. So Pedro, of course, who had... Ah... <laughs> uh, Excuse me while I think about Pedro Martinez's changeup. Pedro, is Pedro, it was so beautiful. It just dove away, and it was yeah. Anyways, but you know, Pedro with the full arm action and the velocity behind it made his changeup better. Okay, let's not say that you know Plesac would have been Pedro, but he's Pedro. Like, show me how you gripped it, and Dan's like, here, this is how I held it, and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're, like, you're doing it all wrong. And police like, where were you 25 years ago? And you know, Pedro's like moves the ball in his hand, moves his fingers, tells him something about how to press there, not there, here. And police like, like, oh my God. He's like, now this way you'll have depth to it instead of just going sideways. Like, and that, and you know, I said it backwards. Like, police like, didn't say that was the problem. He decided and have a change up. And he's like, you know, and Pedro's like, well, if you held it like that, it wasn't going to have it. You know, it was just going to go flat. That's so and Plesak's like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was cool. Just, I mean, listening to Giolito talk about it too. Like he was talking about how, you know, he holds it like this, and then he holds it like this to get a different movement or to, you know, like all this different stuff. And Kyle so, Hendricks does that. You know, yeah. he cuts it. You know, there are guys who are really <laughs> pretty amazing ability. Like Maddox did a lot of like little, you know add a little, subtract a little, move it more, move it less, but depending on what your target was going to be or what, how you were setting a guy up. I mean, this change that, you know, that's, that's pitching. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, that is the art, the beautiful art of, of, of pitching a baseball. It's just, so that's where this pitch design stuff comes from. It's, you know, to preempty, well, the stat nerds are going to create these robot pitchers. Like, no, this is like, we're looking at Rembrandt and deciding like, these paint, let's understand these brush strokes. I'm going to teach you to hold a brush like that. And I don't know if you're going to paint like Rembrandt, right. but at least you're going to have the you, right technique. And right. it's born of an appreciation of the art of pitching. It's like, what, how do you do that? And not everybody's going to be able to do it. I mean, not everybody can throw a sinker and a cutter. It's like this thing. It's like, you know what? You got to throw a sinker and a cutter. You really keep hitters off balance. I don't know which way it's going. You know, you can come up with the inside outs, cross in there and tunnel whatever nonsense way you want to spin your pitching technique. Oh, I, I'm not comfortable delaying pronate. You know, I, I just let the arm pronate, just let it go. If, I, if I'm going to cut it, I'm going to have to delay that. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, you might lose your command with that pitch. You may not be able to just may simply not be able to execute that pitch. Yeah. 
So it's like the whole theory of like, this is how you should design the pitch and all that stuff. It's like, well, still got to throw it. You still have to be sure that the player can actually has that, that level of technique that they can apply to it. Because we're talking about, we're talking about the subtleties for the most part. We're not talking about, okay, now you're going to learn how to throw a slider. You've been throwing nothing, but we're talking about, okay, now we're going to give you a slider that is seven inches different and two and a half miles an hour different and is released at the same extension point as your fastball. That's very different than, you know, learn how to throw a slider. It's right. like, let's, let's dial it in very, very tight. Yeah. And it might not be for everybody. Some guys may be, uh, I don't know if our, our, parental language warning rating merits this on the show. You may have to bleep me. But how did Steve Carlton throw a slider? It's one of the greatest sliders. Those of you who are old enough will nod your heads right now. The Steve Carlton slider was absolutely disgusting. Like, absolutely filthy. Just, you, you keep, forget it. How do you throw your slider, Mr. Carlton? I hold it like this and throw the shit out of it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's all. I mean, he really did change speeds on, but he, that's basically for some guys. That's the technique. That that's it, and that's not going to be helpful. That's not designed. Just some people are just Steve Carlton. Somebody told him to hold the ball that way, and he just threw it as hard as he could. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. And it's interesting. I don't know uh, the the Giolito clip. It must have stuck with me. I mean, I just watched it today, but like he, that's what he said. Uh, kind of in conclusion was, I, I have all of these new things but it really comes down to executing and you know, I, I've got a hundred or 110 pitches a game and I'm going to be successful if I execute and I'm not going to be successful if I don't. Yeah. And so if you're going to throw just, 110 pitches, you, you better be executing, you know, I wonder what percentage of pitches you can get. You know, it's like how many mistakes can you make? Right. And sometimes it's just the, you may make one mistake all day and it's the wrong guy who's swinging. And he, he, we've, we've seen that. It's a crazy yeah. game, isn't it? You know? Yeah. It's, but sure. Yeah. He, he, as long as he understands that, and that's the thing, it's like, this isn't magic. You still have to go out and have a game plan and understand your opponent and respond to how you feel on the mound that day or that inning at the, that moment. Um, whatever strange lag or speed up you may have in your mechanics at that moment, you don't have to have the feel to adjust to it. Because as very smart people have been telling me a lot, like, it's like you, you don't repeat your mechanics. You have to have the fine muscle control to deal with the fact that you're not, especially under pressure and, and the wind blows you and, you know, the mound's a little different. You know, you can't be this perfection robot. You have to be. Right. So you're saying you can't repeat your mechanics because it's just. You just don't. Like you're not like you're not. You're just a not. Going, you're, yeah. not, you're not. Exactly. You're not a metronome. And I've always. Cause I actually just when I made this remark to Jerry Weinstein, who's the, the, the coach of. Uh, for the Rockies, he coaches the double-A team. He was coach of Team Israel. And Jerry, uh, like I was talking to him at, after a conference, and I said something about my overused joke about Mariano Rivera. I have metronomes that were less consistent. And he's like, no, your metronomes are just fine. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, Mariano was able to pitch despite the fact that it's not humanly possible to re- repeat your mechanics perfectly. Like you just can't. So you're you're you have to have it kind of like it's like I it's almost like this macro and micro thing. Like you have to have like this big muscle thing that's as repetitive as you can get it, and this small muscle thing where it's not intrusive, but subtle enough to make adjustments off where the big muscles may be going wrong. So you feel that you're late. Uh, yeah, you can. You know how to speed up your arm. Yeah, 
And I, I can only relate to that through experience playing golf where. Yeah. You make micro adjustments. There's, you, there's like, yeah, I get, I get that. I know, but that's really hard to do. Like that, that I'm, I'm like, like, Oh yeah. I can remember that one time I did that. You know what I mean? It's like that. The, it's like, so yeah, the great ones are these ones who are just constantly just natural gifted athleticism where it just, they're able to do that. You know, it's like the hitters who get off balance and still hit the ball. Right. One of them like, is going to be inducted into the hall of fame this summer. Man. Yeah. How did you, how did people pitch to Vlad? Pitchers oh hated pitch. They hated pitching to him. They hated it. You yeah. could not pitch around him. It was yeah. literally impossible. It's like you couldn't do it. Have you seen the, um, the, the gif of 50 cent throwing this crazy <laughs> pitch and Vlad hitting it out? That's so funny. It's so good. Um, oh my god yes so yeah pitch design is cool hopefully we'll see a tool on our site and coming this season awesome look forward to it yeah well uh there is some other oh, more order of business don't we or one more order of business there's some other stuff so uh our friend friend of the podcast russell carlton yes. um has a book that is out um, I think it's out. I got it's out. I have it. I have it. Yeah. <laughs> I the Kindle have, version isn't out yet. Right there it is. Kindle so, version will be out, in a, but the soft cover is available cover. and shipping. I actually ordered two. I pre-ordered um, when I heard Russell was writing a book. I How like, did you do that? How did you manage to pre-order? Like, did you buy from different? Like, no. One from Amazon. One from Barnes and Noble. No. I, Doesn't it say you pre-ordered this book on January third? It probably did. Like in big yellow letters above the ad. I'm serious. That's like it does. If you have pre-ordered a book or bought the like, it's like it says like Harry, you bought this book. I was enthusiastic, Harry. I was enthusiastic <laughs> about Russell's book. Hey, see, I have done the thing where I bought Jonah Carey's last book, I think, his Expo's book. I I got a print copy and a Kindle copy because that it doesn't tell you you bought this. You know, well, maybe that makes you know, sense. But yeah. getting the same literal you know, it's two, like two, I'm impressed. Yeah, two copies. So I'll, anyway, I'll have a steak sandwich. Yeah. And the steak sandwich. So we're giving away. We're going to give away. We're going to have a little contest. Uh, I spoke with Russell, and um, yeah, we're going to have a little contest. And what we are going to do is we are going to um, pull a little quote that our listeners are going to um, respond to or fill in the blank. It's kind of a Cards Against Humanity esque. Um, game match game ask maybe match game yeah that might be before my time Harry oh my god well you know what go on dude anyway okay so we're gonna do this and um, let me let's see here I've got my got my cards I'm gonna pull one out here and all right so Wait, you that's fake. What are you Just so the about? listener knows. There was that, that was, this is radio magic, Harry. Did Come you do like did you actually pull something to do a fake sound effect there? Yeah. I've got it was baseball. a real sound effect. Yeah, real sound. I've got baseball cards that I just pulled. I was, I was trying to do some radio magic, Harry. I was Whatever, trying to do man. that show up for our listeners. Oh man. <sighs> I don't have cards against humanity. Um, <laughs> but I looked some up on the internet. Um and I found one that I thought would be a, a funny one. So that's what we're going to use. Way to ruin it, Harry. Um, Whatever. The illusion so, broken. 
I might just edit all this out and I'll no. use my sound effect and okay, um, okay anyway so the the quote that you guys need to finish um, wait this is so they so wait how do they win the book okay so you like just finishing the quote doesn't get you a book no I mean, we get to pick it so we're judging them. We're judging it. And I this believe very Russell, Russell may be involved in, in oh, okay. from what All I right. understand, if, if there are, um, enough spectacular, um, entries there, there may be some additional book resources, that... but it's up to, but it's up to us how many are spectacular. I got yeah, it. Yes. So yeah. we're giving away at least one book, at least one book to the best one and, and if potentially and if... more. Okay, potentially more. Okay. Thanks. Much thanks to Russell Carlton. Boy, we're going to need a legal disclaimer here. Uh, entry does not guarantee winning. You're not a short of book. There's no alternative. You don't have to be present to win. No purchase necessary. There's no purchase necessary. This Please is subjective. Refrigerate after we're opening. freaking podcast. So, my God, like, just be happy. Yeah, you're getting that, a book. The host was dim enough to order wait, this wait, thing. Wait. Wait a second, Harry. This scene, this, this I can hear you. This is not up to legal standards. This is not a. This is not you know up to snuff. I, the small print is, seems a little shaky. It's like, well, you oh, know, I'll judge review it before we send. There it. you go. Yeah, I don't think he's allowed to give legal counsel. No. To <laughs> yeah, this is not practice. legal advice. I don't. This is not legal advice. <laughs> or get Ethley Bailey as a legal consultant, which is this yeah. week I learned Ethley Bailey is no longer a practicing lawyer. Anyways, okay, go on. So neither <sighs> is G. Gordon Liddy, to my knowledge. <laughs> So, I don't think he was ever a lawyer. That's a, maybe he was. I don't know. He's just a thief. So, what? There's a book, right? There's a book. It's called. And the we're shift. giving it away. The yeah. shift. And and so, um, for all the losers, I will post a link where you can order it. Um, but if you win, you'll be sent a copy. So, uh, all the legal mumbo jumbo aside. Make it good. So here's what it is. I apologize to uh, the criminal. (laughs) He was a lawyer. Who knows? He was. I just. Oh, G. Gordon Liddy was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Hold that. Nice. Okay. So this is the what you need to. So you can. So there's a book. If you fill in the blank, we think you're funny. We'll we'll send you a book. Yes. So email stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com. Oh, and only email entries will be accepted uh, to that address. Yeah, I think so. I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on a podcast. Yeah, why not? Um, I know that we're going to tweet this out, so we may get tweet responses to. Oh, I have to. Yeah. Anyway, make them good. Uh, so the this is <laughs> way too much build up for this, but the book's good, so it's worth it. This is a good book, yeah. So finish this line with some baseball narrative player or something funny baseball related or clever or touching or um you just change the rules <laughs> it could be baseball related or not make it uh, make it baseball related but make it good oh, God. do whatever you need to do to make it good okay. for god's sake we're gonna end up sending like a book to <laughs> well, no they have to like make us laugh or like tear up or something Oh my god! I don't want to hear about your, like your cat that died here. Okay. <laughs> if you very tear up, you definitely get a book, oh. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Anyway, so the quote is: "One small step for man, one giant leap for blank." Send us your email. 
stolen underscore science at baseballperspectus.com. And we will tweet it out. And so it probably would have to be in response to that particular tweet. But. Go ahead. They're writing down their answers. <laughs> Was that Richard Dawson? What do you got, Richard? No, no. Okay. 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 Is this match game? Yes. Yeah. Get, get off my lawn. <laughs> All right. So that was rousing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the quality content you've all signed up for. Good luck. We hope you win the book. Yes. Ah, <laughs> boy. Um, anyway, so even if you don't win the book or you don't want to play our stupid game, um, definitely go out and buy it's Russell's really book. Yeah, um, I'm enjoying it immensely. Yeah. I really, I really am. I'm actually really. <laughs> I'll read mine twice. <laughs> so, and the one that we I send out is not. I'm not going to read it. I'm not even. Gonna <laughs> It'll still it. be fresh. Totally fresh. <laughs> totally clean. Totally fresh. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hermetically sealed. Yep. So, on that note, um, for the two listeners that are still around, um, we will bid you farewell. And uh, ask you to rate and review us. Not on the basis of the end of the show. Not on the basis of the end of the show. We'll remember nothing. <laughs> the show will be gone for your memory. Woo! Goodbye, baseball! <laughs>